Morning, all. And morning to all those of you watching online as well as we start a new series, as uh, Mike mentioned in that video. And it is based, this, uh, this series um, called Four, Know What You're For, on a book that Jeff wrote. You got to see Jeff's face anyway. And who is Jeff Henderson? Jeff is a pastor. He's pastored really two um, great churches in the Atlanta area, Buckhead Church and then Gwinnett Church, uh, both in the Atlanta area, part of the North Point system. And that's how many of us got to know him uh, and have known him for many years or known about him and his ministry. But this book, you know, um, Know What You're For, was really based out of partly the, the second church that he planted about not even quite 10 years ago, the Gwinnett Church in the greater Atlanta area. And after he did this many years, the book was just written in the last year, he said, we wanted to ask ourselves a couple questions. This is the, the, really the premise for the entire book. First question is, you know, what do we as a organization, in this case a church, what do we want to be known for, right? And this would make sense, you know, what do you, you could say this about your own life, right? What's your own personal sort of vision for your life or your family, but certainly your business, your sports team, what everybody's saying. We as a church wanted to know, what do we because he happened to be starting a church. What do we want to be known for? And then, you know, as time went on, he said, we went to ask our community, um, what are we actually known for in the community, right? Sometimes there's a gap between those two things. And he said, growth happens in a organization, in a church, when those two questions, or the answer, I should say, to those two questions match. When what you say you are for, here's my aspirations, we are for, right? We're for seeing people um, come to know the God, know Jesus as Savior. We're come to see, you know, marriages restored. We come to see, you know, um, you know spiritual health and, and, and the community thrive in various ways. Whatever it was, this is what we're for actually is what people say they think we are for in our community. Growth happens, said another way, when those who have said no to the church, right, I live near some of these people, maybe you do, when those who have said no to the church in the past realize the church, the one down the street, around the corner, is saying yes to them, right? This is when growth happens. We, we, we live in a very cynical world, right, where uh, many people, as Jeff said this, uh, and many churches are known for what they're against. That's the first thing that somebody says when they say church X or church Y. They're known for what they're against. And my hope is that I'd like for us, point of this whole series, to be a church that is known for who and what we are for, right? Who and what we are for. We're gonna look at a passage, by the way, introduction this morning, um, that where the early church, right, the church of Jesus that started in the New Testament. It's recorded in this thing called the book of Acts. It's kind of a history, about a 40-year history of the early church. Asks and answers the very same question, right? They have a, a, a moment of, of, of truth, a crisis, their first great crisis, where they have to ans ask and answer the church, ask and answer the question, what are we for? And does the community that we're serving, do they know what we are for? So you have a copy of the Bible. We're reading from Acts chapter 15. Um, I'll read some selected verses, Acts 15, 1 through 11, and then 19 through 21, in a message titled, What Are We For? Acts 15. So we're right in the middle of the movie here in the 
development of the early church, that is the, the church of Christ started in the New Testament. Acts 15, follow along as I read. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were asked in teaching the believers, quote, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The the church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. The news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem... They were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles, the implication is who are Christians, right, must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter, the Apostle Peter, got up and answered them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. If you're a note taker, Acts 10 and 11, just a few chapters earlier. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us Jewish people. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the neck of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. The whole, uh, verse 19, it is my judgment therefore that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and read in the synagogues, which is where the churches were happening, taking place at that time, on every Sabbath, okay? What are we for? Let me say this. The most important way we can be for the people of our community or our communities is to be clear on and committed to the gospel of God's grace. Okay, that's really what's going on in this passage. We want to be very clear on what is it and very committed to, right, in our heart of hearts, the gospel of God's grace. So the first point in this message, um, I think in this context, but I think in ours is this. We are for the gospel, excuse me, or excuse me, the gospel of God's grace. We are for the gospel of God's grace. Now let me say a few things about this passage that we just read because you say well Rob so far so good that seems pretty straightforward we are for the gospel of God's grace but are we really it's really the question that's being asked even to these great leaders this the early church the the book of Acts is the early church okay the whole book of Acts more or less the 28 chapters 
Maybe it's 35 or 40 years. So a lot happens in 35 or 40 years. And the Church of Jesus Christ, as it's recorded, had a, an amazing start, you know, out of the sort of the um, shot out of the cannon kind of experience, right? Acts chapter 2, Peter, the apostle who speaks here in verse 6, Peter, the apostle, gives this great message, and it says 3,000 people. This is the very first Christians. 3,000 people say yes to the, to the offer of God's grace in Jesus. They hear the gospel for the first time, and in ipso facto, a church of 3,000 people is started in one day. Now, if you follow carefully up in the next handful of chapters, I'm looking, chapter 2, chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 8, Luke, who writes the book of Acts, he's very careful, and he mentions the numbers. 3,000, another 2,000, another 1,000. He mentions the numbers, I'm sure, Partly it's maybe his, his style, but he's really trying to give credit and, and history and, and say, listen, God's doing an amazing thing. And they're, and they're counting, right? Here they're saying thousands of people have been saved. But here's the important thing to keep in mind. What's the crisis? Up until the first missionary journey, that's what we call it. The book of Acts has three of them. The first one just finished in Acts 14. The very end, that's why this happens. Up until Acts 13, the Thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people who were Christians, born-again Christians like you and me, they were 100% Jewish. They were all of one ethnicity. And this didn't happen just one day like, wow, well, the church was born on Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival, so it makes sense that all these people, although from different countries, were all Jewish. That kind of makes sense to us when we read Acts chapter 2. But by the time you get from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 13, this is a guesswork on my part, but it wasn't like a week or a month went by. It was probably 10 years or more. So stop and think of it for a minute. If in, if I, even if I ask in this church right now and just sort of, you know, modest number of people here in coronavirus that's in this room, right, we probably have dozens of ethnicities and backgrounds just in this room. But as the church of Jesus Christ was in the multiple thousands big, every single person in the church was of the same ethnicity, the same background. That is to say, they were Jewish. And it wasn't until the first missionary journey, Acts 13 and 14, that for the very first time, as the apostles went out and they began to share the gospel, not very far, they went to Syria and what we call Syria and Lebanon today, Phoenicia, Samaria, and then maybe a little bit into Asia, Minor, which we call Turkey. That's as far as they went. Some other people began to believe and all of a sudden, same gospel, people, you think more is better, right? But it became a crisis. But what is the crisis? Depends on how carefully you read this passage. Even though they say, you know, they, they must be circumcised to be saved. But if you read carefully this passage, the crisis here is not really what does it mean to be saved. I think they understood. They would have never sent the church. Now, not every last, and some individuals had points of view. They didn't like Gentile believers. But the church itself, the organization, they are the ones that sent the Apostle Paul out. They are the ones that sent Barnabas out. They are the ones that sent you know, Timothy out. They're the ones that sent these missionaries out to go share the gospel. So they were not at all surprised that non-Jewish people became Christians. That's not the issue. The issue is not that non-Jewish people become Christian. The issue is whether or not once they became Christians... 
right? Do they need to practice their Christian faith like the Jewish background believers did to be a part of the church? That was what the issue was. Because think about this for a minute. For those dozen or so years, when the church is growing in the thousands of numbers, right? And they're meeting in the synagogues. That's how it ends in verse 21. And they're in Jerusalem in this great mother church. Do you think that the Jewish believers, I'm talking about the Christian believers who are all Jewish, did they practice the Passover? I think they did. Did they practice the Feast of Tabernacles? I think they did. Did they circumcise their children? I think they did. And none of those things would have been offensive. There are people today, lo, these 21 centuries later, who are born-again Christians, followers of Jesus, who practice the Passover. They celebrate it in hindsight. It's called the Seder Supper, who may celebrate even the Feast of Tabernacles. And they look at it as the Feast of Tabernacles was a famous Jewish festival, is a Jewish festival, where they live in these temporary shelters, like tents maybe today, and they do that to look back and think about what God had delivered them in the wilderness wandering. Could you do that? And of course, circumcise their children. And the circumcision was such a big issue. That seems odd to us, maybe, because what did that have to do with being Jew? But the, the reason it's such a big issue here You might say, I don't get it. Why is this such an issue? Because long before there even was a law, hang on with me a little bit. Might be boring you a little bit. Hang in there. This is worth listening to. Long before there was was the Moses and the law and the Ten Commandments. In fact, 400 years before that is when God called Abraham. And when God called Abraham, so the Jewish nation grew and existed for hundreds of years before there was a law. But this is what he did. He called him and he said, I'm gonna make a covenant with you, Abraham, which is a Bible word for an agreement. And the the way that you're going to demonstrate your agreement with me back is you're gonna circumcise all the males in the Jewish community, your children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren. And that will be a sign of the covenant in any male that's not circumcised in the Jewish community will be cut off from their people. So to the Jewish people, this was seen as very serious. And it certainly didn't violate their commitment to Jesus Christ. So the real issue here, guys, hang with me, I think, is not can non-Jewish people become Christians. That's the whole point of the missionary expeditions and efforts in the book of Acts and in the New Testament church. But the crisis was, are they going to practice their faith like we do? That's the real issue. What they were saying is, listen, in so many words, you can be here, Italians and Spaniards and, and you know, Asians and Europeans. You can be here with us, but we want you to practice your faith the way that we practice our faith. And let me say this. We live in a different time, but the issues remain. This is the point of this series. I shouldn't care. This is my message. Back up. Here we go. I shouldn't care. You shouldn't care what anybody's background is. I'm talking about in this community who might come to a church like ours. What anybody's background is, listen, what anybody's politics is, and even what anybody's lifestyle is who might be interested in the gospel. And you go, well, pastor, two of those three, I'm with you. You know, I think politics aren't important. I think their background isn't important. But how can you say their lifestyle isn't important? Let me tell you what's at the end of this passage. I'm following the Bible here. 
It's my judgment, verse 19, that you shouldn't make it difficult for non-Jewish background people, that's what Gentiles means, who are turning to God. In other words, don't put any barrier or burden on them to find faith in Jesus because we believe it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are, verse 11. Then he gives a couple provisions, provide, you know, uh, uh, examples or, or exceptions, I'm sorry. Instead, we should tell them three things. Abstain from food polluted, polluted by idols offered in the, in the, in the temples there in, in uh, various cities throughout um, Asia and Turkey and uh, uh, in Europe. From sexual immorality and from meat strangled, uh, of strangled animals and from blood. Now, what in the world? Has anyone ever heard that when you became a Christian? They say to you, gee, I want you to come to Browncroft, but sexual immorality, maybe we get that, okay? Maybe we say, you know, we should have a sexual purity, but sort of that makes sense, but you shouldn't have meat that's been strangled and you shouldn't, um, you know, abstain from uh, uh, food that's been polluted by idols. No one ever said that to me. These three things are here. It's very important you understand this. They're not here to reflect the moral law of God because if it was, boy, there's a lot of other things they could have put in there. These three things are here. What's, what's the common denominator of these three things is they all had to do with idolatry in the pagan temples in, in, in the, in the non-Jewish community. And what they were saying as they closed this up is, listen, the, jet, the Jews are going to make some, they're going to back off on some of their particularities, circumcision, Passover, tabernacles, they're going to back off because we don't want the gospel to be Jesus plus something else. Gentiles, we're asking you a favor too now that you're in the church. We want you to back away from some of the things that you have been doing that are part of your culture that can be offensive to your Jewish brothers and sisters. But let me say this. When I say you shouldn't care about people's background, you shouldn't care about their politics, you shouldn't even care about their lifestyle, the people in this community who don't know Jesus or are not a part of this church. Let me say this. To truly walk with God, to be a disciple, it's the Bible's word, ultimately you are to subject every area of your life to God and to me, into life change. I want to see every area of my life. I've been in this game since I was a, a, a college student and I'm still not fully mature, right? I want to subject every area of my life, my behaviors, my attitudes, my wants, so that God's goal in my life, God's goal in your life, is that God will take me from where I am and bring me to become more like Jesus. That's what the church is for, too. He wants to take you somewhere. But you come, when you first come, you come as you are, right? God wants to take me somewhere. He wants to take you somewhere. But you come as you are. The only thing my neighbor needs to know, the only thing your neighbor needs to know is, listen, God, Jesus loves you, and we got a seat for you, or we got a, we, we, you know, I want to make time for you, period. That's the crisis that's being resolved here. i got to know, it mentioned in here pizza for the pastor, right? And if you're new or online with us, love for you to join me tonight and Kim and some other friends for a short time of discussion. But here's, i got to note, I met this guy, whose note I'm going to read, about a month and a half ago online. I still have never met him in person. And when I met him online, he said he'd been at the church for about two months, so since the late summer. And, uh, and he said this in his note back to me after I sent him a book. I just wanted to thank you, Pastor Rob, for sending me the Every Step at Arrival book. It's just a book we send to some people. 
who made a decision of kind. I wasn't expecting anything like this and the welcoming to your church has been nothing like I've ever experienced. I can't wait to dive into that book to help me discover my newly found Christianity and I can't wait to watch every Sunday. Thank you for the book, the card. It meant so much to me. I'm looking forward to seeing you on Sunday. Adam Fogel. Let me tell you something about Adam Fogel. Adam uh, is a senior at the U of R. He's Jewish and outside of, I think, a, you know, a wedding or a funeral, he's never been to a church. I don't know if he's ever actually physically been to this one. But he found us online. He's made a decision of a kind for Christ, and he's glad that he's here. Let me say this. The Christian life, many of you know this, has nothing to do with what you achieve. How do you become a Christian? It's completely not a part of the equation whatsoever, Right? It's all about what you receive and it's only when that truth detonates in your heart that it's about what God has done for you. Three or four times, God has done, verse four. God has made a choice, verse seven. Um, God um, has done among the Gentiles, verse 12. These writers, this writer's trying to say, it's about what God has done for you. That's the gospel. And until that truth really detonates in your heart, it's not gonna change your life, but when it does, then you're off into becoming more like Jesus. So number one, we are for the gospel of God's grace. That's what our community hopefully will know about us. Second, we are for a richly diverse congregation. Let me say the other thing that's happening in this passage. It's, I'm sort of hinting at it, but this is so important. The question that's really being raised here, as I say, is not really can non-Jewish people become Christians or people from various backgrounds. No, that's not really, that's the whole point of the missionary expedition of the book of Acts. The question is this. Is the outreach to the different people, right? Various sundry groups of people. The very first person that becomes a Christian, Acts 10, is an Italian very proud of that. <laughs> but anyway, the point is, but no, there weren't any Italians in the church in Jerusalem, okay? The first, but then it moves on. It wasn't one ethnicity, it was multiple ethnicities, right? Go into all the world, every nation. The very first, um, the question really is, is once outreach happens and goes out into reaching all kinds of people, which happens, and all those kinds of people are not gonna have the background that the early church did, the background of all these people that are starting to become Christians, they never celebrated the Passover. They never celebrated tabernacles. They didn't eat kosher foods. They didn't even know there was the Ten Commandments. Is that group of people coming into the church going to change the nature of the church? That's the question that's being answered. And the New Testament's answer is an absolute unqualified yes. It's going to change the nature of the church. Let me give you this. I think that I'm pretty close to accurate here. If I'm going to take a snapshot of the church of Jesus Christ in Acts 15, if I could do that, the church would be, if you do the math, probably if there was 10,000 people in a stadium somewhere, and that was the whole church of Jesus Christ up to Acts 15, maybe 5 to 15%, if I said, raise your hand if you're not Jewish, would raise their hand, 5 to 15%. So you can say, well, for the most part, we're going to maintain a majority here. We'll be okay. So, you know, watch your P's and Q's, but sort of walk like, uh, maybe it's okay. This is the crisis because they'd only had one missionary journey. 
The second missionary journey, which starts at the end of Acts 15, the next one that happens at the end of Acts 18, by the time you get to the end of this little old book of Acts, maybe 30 years, the whole thing has flipped on its head. If I were to ask someone to raise their hand in that same kind of hypothetical meeting at the end of the book of Acts, probably 5 to 15% would Jewish would raise their hand and everybody else would have been from another background, another uh, ethnicity, another group who knew nothing about the background of the people of God, okay? This is what's, and listen guys, this is not just important to make for a richer fellowship. You might say, well gee, you know, this is how God made the world, by the way. Do you know today in the world, there are, they, so, so um, people tell us, about 6,500 different languages. Think about that. 6,500 different languages. But if you're a Bible believer, I am, I think many of you are, it says God created all the nations of the world from one man, one woman, one people, one, one couple. 6,500 languages. That just tells me one thing about God. There's um, diversity within unity. One man, one blood, 6,500 languages. In fact, we know this is where the church is headed. Some of you know this. There's a snapshot of the church in Revelation chapter seven. It says this. The church of Jesus Christ, there's a snapshot of them. Every nation, every tongue, every people, every language, I might even add every point of view, okay? It's all there. But this is not just for a richer fellowship. I'm not making this case so I can say, boy, it'd be a richer fellowship. I'd be a richer person. In, in my mind, in my thoughts, in my, if I had more people in my fellowship, in my small group, in my church, from different, I'm not just talking about skin color, I'm talking about all different kinds of backgrounds, okay? It's not just for a richer fellowship, it's for a richer, wait for it, witness, you see? It's for a richer witness. Because what people want to know, I'm talking about the people that live in this community and other communities, is this, is this a church that's for me, Right? Growth happens when people who have said no to the church in the past realize the church is saying yes to them. When a person walks in this room who may be of a different skin color, maybe of a different language group, maybe of a different socioeconomic group, maybe have a tattoo, I mean, fill in the blank, whatever it is, when they come in here and maybe they see other people like them, they say, this place belongs to me. It's not only a richer fellowship, it's a richer witness as well. I listened to this interview. Just this past week, it was an interview with, I don't know if you know this guy, uh, Jonathan Sachs, who was the um, chief rabbi of the United um, uh, you know, Hebrew Congregations. It was, it's a British thing. He's almost like, a, like a, a, a senior level of person in all of the Jewish community throughout the British Commonwealth. And he's known as one of the most deepest thinkers about religion. Anyway, for guys like me, uh, you know, uh, professional religious people, it, it, he's known as, as one of the great deep thinkers. He just passed away, and they were doing an interview with him. And the, the interviewer said to him this. They said, listen, you know, uh, uh, Rabbi Sachs, it was obviously done uh, sometime in the past, recent past, before he passed away. And they said, you know, uh, Rabbi Sachs, they said, you know, people love you from all over the world. You know, people have read your books and they know you're, you're, you know, and they said, but the interesting thing is, this, this interviewer said that most of your criticism, your stinging criticism comes 
from the Jewish community. In other words, Christians like you and other faiths like you, everyone thinks that they really appreciate everything you say, but your stinging criticism comes from people within the Jewish community. She said, why is that? You know, she was just saying what he obviously knew. And he, first he said something like, well, you know, if you're a leader in any religious organization, your job partly is to challenge the, the leaders under you. But then he said this, that this was really profound. He said, I learned this a long time ago, and I continue to, to say this to my uh, congregation. God is bigger than religion, and he's in places you never expected to find him. God is bigger than religion, okay? God is bigger than religion, and he's gonna be in places you never expected to find him. And then he said this. Oh, this is so interesting. He's a, he's a, he's a rabbi. He said, uh, he said to the woman, he goes, I don't know how much you know about the Jewish story, but he said, the Hebrew prophets, many of you know about it's our Old, Old Testament. He said the Hebrew prophets, there's two things that are true of all the Hebrew prophets. Number one, they... Um, they, they, um, they, 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 many of them um, um, taught to preach to their message for many, many years. Some of them, I mean, I think I, Jeremiah preached for at least 23 years. He was a prophet to one group of people, 23 years to the people, um, the exiles who ultimately went to Babylon, in, in, first in Jerusalem, then in Babylon, Jeremiah. Some of these prophets... They were prophets for longer than that, 30 years, 40 years. Many of them, their whole lifetimes, they were prophets. The other thing that was true about these prophets, he said, is they basically all preached the same message to the same group of people. They preached to their own people, to the Jewish people, either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom, and their message was essentially the same, which was calling them back to covenant faithfulness. God said they all had they all received the covenant because they were Jewish background, right? They were all they all had the Bible, they all had the 10 commandments I should say, and they were all in all the prophets in their own way were saying, "Listen, you're not following your end of the agreement. You're not doing what God wants you to do. Come back to God and repent and and respond." He said that was essentially the message of all the Jewish prophets. He said, "For the most part, nobody Listen to anything the prophets said. And if you read your Old Testament, that's true. That's why they went to exile, because they basically just spurned their, uh, uh, you know, the, their, their noses or, or just said, we're not interested. We're going to do our own thing. That's the story of all the prophets. There's only one exception. It's the prophet Jonah. And Jonah, mentioned this last week, was actually not sent to the Jewish people like all the other prophets, Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh to people who were Assyrians, which were the sort of antagonists, uh, the major antagonists for the Jewish people. And that's why Jonah didn't want to go, right? Because Jonah said, listen, at least when I go to my own people, why do all the other prophets get to go to Israel? And even though they're not often listened to, I'm talking to people who know the background of the Old Testament. They basically know what they should be doing. They may not want to do it, but I can have a shorthanded conversation with them. I'm talking to people in my backyard, that's what all the prophets were doing. And he said, that's a job I can handle. But why are you sending me to people, wait for it, who don't know anything about the Ten Commandments, who don't know anything about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who don't know anything about Passover, who don't know anything about tabernacles, who could care less about the Ten Commandments? Why, God, would you send me there when those people are not going to say, listen to anything that I say, and I despise those people anyway because they live such un, um, you know, backward lives, right, morally. And God says, that's where I'm going to send you. 
So Jonah goes, Zach said, and you heard me, I said this last week, he gives a five-word sermon to the Assyrians and the whole city repents in sackcloth and ashes, right? What's the message for us, I think? Let's really back to Acts 15. Guys, listen, I think far too many of us, we've been having a conversation with ourselves, right? And it's this big, long conversation with ourselves like the Hebrew prophets did with the people of Israel. And we say to ourselves, I say to myself, huh, the people live on my street, my neighbors in this community, they're not interested in the things of God. They got better things to do. They're not, they, don't, they, don't, they, they don't really even know there's 12 apostles. Why would they care to hear anything I have to say? When what this, what the, the crisis that's happening here in Acts 15 is they're saying, listen, James, Peter, John, guys, we, 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 this, we're in a crisis moment. We've got to come to a place and say, here's my last point, we are for removing every barrier that keeps people from finding God. Listen, once they're in a faith relationship with Jesus, we're going to put you in a system, and a group. We're going to do everything we can to make you, over time, become more like Jesus. That's the whole point of the church. But the people who aren't here today, we want to remove every single barrier there is. Let me tell you what's really come at, at place in this passage. Here's the danger that's being addressed. Yes, it's specific to this passage, Jewish, Gentile, but the real larger issue is there's a danger in seeing one's culture as central to one's faith, right? I want you, you know, my, I, I've taken my background, my points of view, maybe my religious experiences, maybe even what it means to be a Christian, and I've laid that on you and said, you can become a part of this if you want to live your life this way, if you want to think this way, if you want to vote this way, Right, if you want to behave this way, well, then you can become a Christian too. I might not even say those words, but the question this series raises, this passage raises, is that the message, is that what I'm known for? Is that what we're known for? And the challenge of this passage and of this message is to say, listen, let's take down whatever barriers that you might have, that, I might, that we might have, that are keeping people from pursuing, from inquiring, from knowing more about the gospel. Because even these top dog leaders, James, Peter, I mean, this is the only time these guys ever got together that I know of in the Old New Testament. Peter, Paul, and James, the Lord's brother, who was the pastor of this big monster church in Jerusalem, it's the only time they got together because they said, this is a very serious issue. And if we don't get this right, the church is going to become a small country club and it's not going to go any further. And this has really been going on for generations. And I think we're living in a moment, friends, where there's people like this great young man all over the place. But we've got to be committed to one removing every barrier that I might have as a person, you might have as a person, and that we might have as a church that are keeping people from coming to God. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this time. I thank you for, Lord, just your, your word to me, to us uh, this morning. And your, your, your word is so rich. And I'm so grateful, even as I think of my own life, going back many years as a college student myself. Um, 
who, you know, people, there's some people, you know, kind of busted my uh, barrier, so to speak, who, who were willing to come a little closer to me, someone who probably projected lack of interest and, and a lot of, you know, foolishness and pride and, um, and, um, and said to me, um, you know, uh, talk to me about the grace of God. And those people um, helped me come to know you as Lord and Savior and put me on a path eventually of life change. Help us, Lord, as we think about that today uh, in this November uh, season, as we think about it going forward as a church, as we, as we continue to live in a world, as Jason and others said earlier this morning, that are, you know, that are, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, uh, panicked or fearful. Lord, help us to think of what it's like to be in this world, coronavirus, uh, etc., without knowing the gospel of Christ, without knowing the presence of God in your mind and your heart, without know, having possession of God's word. What might it be like for those people who really have no hope except you know, the TV news or, or, or their own achievements or whatever? Help us, Lord, to be for the people all around the communities where this church exists, that we might become all the more a place where men and women, young and old, from whatever background, um, come to know Jesus uh, as Savior. And we ask in his name, amen.